Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to kind of be all over the Bible this morning, but I'll encourage you to stay in Ephesians chapter 4. If you follow me to some of the other passages, fine, but uh, you'll want to stay here because we'll be coming back to this, be the main place we, we land this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start reading in verse number 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of God's, of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for all the places that we'll look this morning. I pray as we uh, tackle once again this topic, I pray, Father, first of all, uh, that you'll speak to us. I pray, Father, for the filling of the Holy Spirit right now. I pray that I would be entirely and totally under your control. I would only say things you once said and be protected from saying things I ought not and just guide this presentation this morning. Uh, Father, help us to understand this truth. Help us to understand and help us not only to understand but to recognize its implications to us, its implications as a church and its implications to us as individuals. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some weeks now, we have been digging deeper into our statement of faith, and we're going to continue that this morning. Um, I was hoping, you know, in my poor planning, I was hoping that by the time we came to the end of the year, we'd be kind of wrapping up that series. But as I look at our statement of faith, we have a little bit more to go, so we'll be a few weeks into the new year, probably, before we finish that examination of our statement of faith. For the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at pneumatology, digging deeper into pneumatology, or what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that it's taken me three weeks to discuss something, which has uh, one word in our statement of faith. I've talked about the fact our statement of faith doesn't address this subject very well, but uh, we'll fix that later. But nonetheless, this is our third uh, look at this matter of pneumatology, or, or uh, what the Bible teaches and what we believe about uh, the Holy Spirit of God. Just by way of review, in the first message, we learned several things. We learned that all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a result of salvation. And we learned also 
that we are to daily and constantly and continuously be seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And we defined the filling of the Spirit of God as being under His influence, surrendered to His control in our daily lives. That was the first uh, time we dug deeper into this topic. And then last week in our second message, we learned that that, that has a, a particular meaning to us, that we are indwelled by the Spirit of God. It has a particular meaning to us as individuals. And we went to the passage in uh, Galatians, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we realize that because we are indwelled by the Spirit of God, we now see the Holy Spirit working in us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in ever-increasing measure, making us more like Christ every day. And so we learned that there was a, a benefit or a ramification, if you will, of the fact that we are indwelled by the Spirit of God. Well, now in this, this third and final discussion about this, I want us to talk about what is the ramification to us as a church. Last week was what is the ramification to me as an individual believer Today, let's talk just for a minute about what is the ramification to us as a church. And toward that end, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fact is, last week we learned that the benefit to us as individual believers is that we now have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to see that the benefit to us as a church, and I think I just said this wrong, the benefit to us as a church is that we have the gifts of the Spirit in our midst. Fruit of the Spirit is, for me individually, the gifts of the Spirit, I think, is for the church. And so, we'll talk about that for just a few minutes today. I want you to use your imagination, if you would, just for a moment. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you're listening to a symphony orchestra. Well, maybe you're at Akron U or something, and you're listening to uh, the Akron Symphony or something. And I want you to think about what you see on the stage. I want you to think about the fact that the entire symphony orchestra is up there. And I want you to think about the various instruments and Maybe you're thinking about violins and cellos and, and, uh, and, and, and stringed instruments. Or maybe you're a brass player and you're thinking about the fact that there's trumpets and trombones and baritones and euphoniums and tubas. And Maybe you're a percussionist and you're thinking about the fact that there's timpani in the very back row and people standing back there. Maybe there's somebody just holding up a little triangle back there. There's all kinds of instruments, right? And then I would ask you in your mind to think which one is the most important of them all. And the fact is I don't think that you would be able to find one that is important. Uh, Every instrument that is there, no matter how flashy or no matter how mundane, is every bit as important, right? There is no music without all of them together. I want you to again use your imagination and I want you to think about a building. You know the Apostle Paul uses the uh, metaphor of a building to describe the local church or the church. And I want you to think about a building. And if you think about a building, you'll know that there's many parts to a building and you'll also know that some of those parts are more flashy than others. Some of those parts are glamorous, some of them are not. But I ask you to consider which of them is more important. None of them are more important, are they? All of them are important. And the building would not function, the building would not stand without all of them. I had a situation a couple years ago. I was running an electric line around my house trenching across my backyard and I was going to put electricity to my pole barn which I had recently constructed. My brother-in-law was helping me and as we were running that trencher across the back of the house all of a sudden he let out a huge shout and he said, I see white! And we went running over there and we had hit the sewer line that comes out of the house from the house to the septic. And as we stood there watching and smelling what was going on there Suddenly, this particular part of our house, which it seems very, very unimportant, and should rightly remain buried and out of sight, became extremely important. The house suddenly couldn't function. 
without it. Well, it couldn't anyway, but suddenly we were reminded of that. So imagine a building. And imagine, if you would, a human body. We could go on and on with these kind of metaphors, but think about a human body. What part of your body is less important than any other? Some parts might not be as pretty as others, but they're all every bit as important. You see, a symphony only works when each instrument plays its parts, and a building only stands strong when each part is in its place, and the human body only remains healthy when every part, every member of that body is healthy and fit and function. And I want to suggest to you this morning that all of those illustrate what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, I would suggest, are given to every Christian to equip the body of Christ and to help that body grow into maturity in Christ. And that only happens when each part does its, does its part. Each part does its work. And we'll develop that thought as we go a little further here. We can't, de- we can't deal with every aspect of spiritual gifts. If you're a thinking person, as we go through this this morning, there's probably going to be more questions than answers that's going to come to your mind because there's a lot of things that we will not be able to address. We're going to have to pick and choose. What I'd like to do, just, just for a, a brief few minutes this morning, is I'd like for us to look at some general truths about the idea of spiritual gifts. And then I want to focus in on one specific truth, and then we'll be done. Some general truths, first of all, about spiritual gifts. We'll be in Ephesians 4 in just a minute, but I want you to notice that there are four passages in your Bible, at least four major passages, that talk about spiritual gifts. There's Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, where we just looked, and 1 Peter chapter 4. If you on your own want to go and look at those, you'll find that every one of those contains a a section that describes this matter of spiritual gifts. And they're all, each of those sections has a slightly different, I guess, slant to them. In Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Peter chapter 4, the emphasis seems to be on using the gifts that you have been given. For example, in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we read this, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Well, that's kind of clear, isn't it? Let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so in Romans, the emphasis is on using the gift that you have been given. Same in First Peter, I think. First Peter chapter 4, uh, verse number 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Clearly, those two passages seem to be emphasizing the use of those gifts. First Corinthians chapter 12, on the other hand, has a completely different, I would suggest, purpose. First Corinthians chapter 12 seems to be about regulating the use of those gifts. A lot of the problems that come about, I think, personally, a lot of the problems that come about uh, with understanding spiritual gifts is because too many people go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to develop their theology of this thing. And the fact is, we have to remember that the church at Corinth, though it was a wonderfully gifted place, and Paul commended them for it in chapter 1 and verse number 7, said you come behind in no gift. He said you're, you're a greatly gifted place. But then he spends a tremendous amount of time saying, but you're completely off the deep end on this thing, and I've got to yank your chain a little bit and get you to understand the right way to exercise these spiritual gifts. And so sometimes we develop 
our doctrine and our thinking on spiritual gifts from this. And we need to remember in 1 Corinthians, we need to compare it to the other ones and make sure we're straight before we go off and develop anything based on 1 Corinthians. But the emphasis there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is on regulating the use of spiritual gifts. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, where we just read, I would suggest that the emphasis seems to be on explaining the reason for the gifts that you have been given. And we'll come back to that one in just a moment. Now, there's overlap, I suppose, in those passages. Each deals with the same topic, but I think they each have that particular emphasis. So if you study these on your own, remember those things. Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter 4, it's it's an encouragement to us to use the gifts we've been given. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 regulates, corrects our use of the gifts. And then Ephesians chapter 4 explains the reason. So that's one of the general truths. I wanted you to understand where we can go in our Bibles. The second thing, of course, obviously we need to have is a definition. A definition. Just, what are you talking about, preacher? What's a spiritual gift? I can imagine some of you are asking that very question, even as we speak. What is a spiritual gift? Mozart, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, one of the great composers of all time, brilliant musician, was his musical ability a spiritual gift. Donald Trump has no spiritual gift as far as his hair, but he does seem to be able to have a tremendous ability to turn anything into money. Have you noticed that? Is that a spiritual gift? I know a man who is a great musician. He truly is a great musician. I've mentioned him before. Somebody once commented to him after he had performed this tremendous piece. He's an organ player. He performed this tremendous piece and they commented to him, Oh, I'm just so thankful that God has given you that spiritual gift. And he looked at her and he said, it's not a spiritual gift. He said, I started practicing when I was three years old. I have practiced for days and weeks and hours and months and years of my life. I have nearly lived at an organ in order to develop that ability. It's not a spiritual gift. You think he was right? I suggest that there is a difference between our natural abilities, our natural talents, and what we're talking about here. There are things that can be learned. You can learn to play the piano. You can learn to play the guitar. You can learn all kinds of things. That is not what is referred to as a spiritual gift. I know, ultimately all things come from God. I understand that. But that's not what we're talking about here today. I think there's a distinct difference about spiritual gifts. Here's a definition that I found that I I think is helpful. You might disagree with it, but I like it. Quote, a spiritual gift is an ability that is spiritual in character, given by the Holy Ghost to a believer, but only to believers, for the purpose of building up other believers in the church. Does that make sense? A spiritual gift is an ability that is spiritual in character, given by the Holy Ghost to a believer, only to believers, for the purpose of building up other believers in the local church. Now, all these passages we've talked about list... Spiritual gifts. There's some overlap between them and there's some some differences between them. I don't think any one of these lists is exhaustive in nature. I think they're just representative. I think they're just examples of spiritual gifts. Let me just mention them. You can think about them on your own. Pray about them on your own. And uh, we won't won't get into the actual individual gifts today because I want to move on to something more specific. But in Romans, here are the gifts that are listed. Prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and showing Mercy. 
In 1 Corinthians, we have wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And of course, that's the passage that we get into all kinds of trouble on. Uh, we as a church do not believe that all of those things are necessarily for today. We, we don't believe that things like tongues and, and, uh, and uh, prophecy and miracles and healing. Uh, we believe those had a specific purpose, and we have to be careful with that in 1 Corinthians. But nonetheless, that's the list there. In Ephesians, the emphasis is not on specific gifts, but on gifted people, gifted men. And the list there includes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, we have the gifts of speaking and ministering. So all those are examples, then, of spiritual gifts. And if you think about them, every one of them would fit that definition. When they, a spiritual gift is an ability that is spiritual in character, given by the Holy Ghost to a believer, but only to believers for the purpose of building up other believers in the local church. So with that definition in mind, and with those four passages of Scripture out there, understanding where we can go in the Bible, I want to mention some general truths. And here they are, just three of them. Number one, spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. Every Christian. This will be reviewed to a lot of you. But they're given to every Christian. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. New Living Translation puts it like this, a little clearer. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, But one in the self-same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Ephesians 4, 7, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Again, New Living Translation clarifies it. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister to one another. And so it's interesting, is it not, that all of these passages have that key thought in it. A spiritual gift is given to every one of us. You say you didn't mention Romans. No, I didn't mention Romans. But Romans does have it. Romans says it like this. If I can find it in my notes here, where did it go? Well, I don't have it in my notes, I guess. Oh, there it is. Romans chapter 4 does say, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And so spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. And that's a, that's a key concept. That's something we need to think about. And I hope that the import of that is getting through to you. If I'm not being clear enough, let me make it more clearly. I'm saying all Christians have a spiritual gift. Do you understand what that means? That means you, if you're a believer, have a spiritual gift or gifts. All Christians, no exceptions. That's the most important, or not the most important, but one of the most important things we'll talk about here today as our general uh, topics on spiritual gifts. So they're given to every Christian. Uh, the second thing I want you to notice is that spiritual gifts are to benefit others and not just you. Here's where the Corinthian church went completely nuts. They were completely worried about the flashy gifts. They were completely worried about the gifts where they could stand up in front of people and say, look at me. And that is not the purpose of spiritual gifts, not even for a moment. Spiritual gifts are given to benefit others and not just you. Oh, there's benefit to us as we exercise and we serve the Lord, but the purpose is for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, or as some translations would say, for the common good. So spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others. And then the third and final thought uh, and these general thoughts are these spiritual gifts are to be used. They're to be used. And so everyone has one. They are for the benefit of others. They are to be used. They're not to be put on a shelf. They're not to be ignored. They're not to be fondled and looked at and said, well, look at me. I have this gift. They are to be used. 
You know, the Bible tells me that Christ is displeased when we do not exercise a proper stewardship of those things he's entrusted to our care. We have the parable of the talents and the parable of the pounds in, in the Bible where we, we see that exact thing, right? We saw praise and, and commendation to those who used that which he had entrusted to them. And we saw judgment and displeasure to those who did not. That's true of all those things over which God has entrusted us. He has entrusted us with money and talents and time. He has entrusted us with the gospel. We are stewards of all these things. And here, interestingly, that very word is used about spiritual gifts. First Corinthians chapter 4, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's the same thing James said in James 1.22, right? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Be used. George Whitefield said in his journals, nothing has done more harm to the Christian church than thinking the examples recorded in Holy Scripture were written only to be read and not imitated by us. And so here's the general thoughts I wanted you to get this morning. The general thoughts are these. You have been gifted. It is for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in the church, and it has been entrusted to you so that you would use it. That's the general thoughts about spiritual gifts this morning. Now let's move, just for a couple more minutes. I've only got a couple minutes left, but let's move from the general to the specific. And I want us to focus on one key truth, and that's in our passage in Ephesians chapter 4, where we started this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I think there's a key truth here which would help us to understand why we need spiritual gifts and why the 21st century church is so often so messed up. Look at this passage, Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 6, especially verse number 3. And I want you to notice in that passage that we just read there, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, that unity is a major goal of the church. Do you see that in there? Look especially at verse number 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We would agree with that, right? Unity is one of our goals here. We're not talking about just human consensus, by the way. We're not talking about democracy. We're talking about unity with God, unity with the mind of Christ, unity with his word, all of us together uh, marching to the same exact directions, which is the word of God. And most Christians would agree that's a desirable goal, and most of us would also admit we stink at it. Most of, it would, most of us would admit there's very few churches, very few believers who really have achieved it. So unity is a major goal. The second thing we see here in this passage is that gifts are a means of reaching that goal. Verses 7 through 13 tell us this. And look especially at verse number 13 there. Till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's at the end of the passage on gifts. And he's saying, here's gifts. And this is why. So that we might come to the unity of the faith. So we learned that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer. Here we see that God has given gifted men, gifted servants to the church and pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets. That's a slightly different emphasis, but same thing. It's a gift. And what we're seeing here is that the gifts and the gifted believers are given so that God's people will be prepared for service, verse 12. The body of Christ will be built up, verse 12. We will reach unity and faith and knowledge, verse 13. We will reach maturity and Christ-likeness, verse 13 and 14. All of those things are saying so that we can have the unity that we need, that we want in Christ. And here's the last thing. Here's the last. All this good stuff doesn't happen on its own. Each part must do. It's work. Verse 16. And this is kind of our text. It took me a long time to get to it, but this is our text today. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Each part must do its work. The NIV says it like this, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The ESV says, From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As each one does its part, the body grows in love, says yet another translation. And so if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to grow as a church, it's going to be because Christians use their spiritual gift as each part does its work. If we're going to have unity as a church, it will be because Christians use their spiritual gifts as each one does its part. And if you and I are going to grow in knowledge and Christ's likeness, it will be because Christians use their spiritual gifts as each one does its part. So there's some general thoughts. And one key thought. You probably this morning, as we as we wrap it up, you're probably thinking, well, this whole message is directed at Christians, and it has been. This whole message is, is about those who have been saved, because only those who have been saved have spiritual gifts. But you know, there may be some here today who that doesn't apply to. There may be some here today who have never trusted Christ. There may be some here today who are saying, I don't even know about this Jesus thing. I don't know anything about that. Does this apply to me? No doesn't. But there is a gift. There is a gift that you do need to think about. My Bible tells me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He's not talking about the gift of prophecy there, or the gift of helps, or the gift of leadership. He's talking about the gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. That gift is available. Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2.8 says for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And so if you're here this morning and you don't understand that stuff, I have to ask you this question. Have you received that gift? Would you like to receive that gift? I remember when I was a kid, it's Christmas time. We think about gifts a lot this time of year. I remember particular Christmases where I would come running down the steps and, of course, you know, for weeks in anticipation, we had been looking at every present that was under that tree. And we'd already figured out which one we were going to open first. You always figured out the biggest and the best one that you were going to open first. You know, salvation is that big gift. Salvation is that gift that you open first, you've got to have first. And then you worry about these other things. And so I asked you this morning, have you received it? Have you received that big gift of salvation? And I would ask you to do it today. It's not yours until you accept it. Not yours until you open it. But once you do, then you can worry about these other gifts we're talking about here today. So if you're here this morning and that's you, you think about that. But Christians, let me draw to a close by asking you, have you thought about this matter of spiritual gifts? All these things I've said this morning applies to you. There is not a single person in this room who is a born-again believer who this does not apply to. There is no such thing as a gift of sitting in the pew. There is no such thing. You have a spiritual gift or gifts. It's not something that's supposed to be sitting on the shelf. It's not something that's supposed to be carried in your pocket. It's something that's supposed to be used. And so I ask you this morning, have you considered that? Number one, do you know what it is? Do you know what your gift did? It? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? We can talk about that. That's the first step. Figure out what it is. But number two, if you do know, if you have some idea, what are you doing about it? Are you using it for the glory 
of God. Ephesians chapter 4, our text, I'll read it one more time. From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body grows in love.